Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, John Holland. This episode we have our old friend, Matt Clapp, of Awful Announcing and the Comeback. And we're just talking about the Cubs are suddenly contenders. They didn't seem like they were contenders last, you know, month. And they went on this incredible winning streak right before the trade deadline, and they went out there and got Heimer Condelario, and now they're right in the race. So I'm just talking to Matt about everything that's going on with the Cubs, and, you know, it feels pretty good right now. We'll see what happens, but they're scoring a bunch of runs, and it's going good right now. So you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app, and Spotify and a couple other places and you can follow me at STH85 on Twitter. I would love it if you uh, rated and reviewed my podcast. Just let me know what you think of it and everything. But anyway, let's get to this exciting conversation about the Cubs finally being good. Here's Matt. Okay, Matt, welcome back to Holy Cowie Cubs podcast. Nice to have you on. Thank you very much for having me, Sean. All right. Well, um, so I last did a podcast about a month ago, and a lot has happened. I was not told you that what happened would happen. I fully expected <laughs> a rebuild, I guess, to continue, I guess is a good way to say it. A sell, a sell off, I guess. And honestly, even two weeks ago, like when they lost that first game, at Wrigley to the Nationals, I basically was like, okay, this year's over. They'll probably trade Bellinger and definitely going to trade Stroman. So we'll see what we get. And then we'll play out the three at the end of the year. And then, I mean, out of nowhere, this 10 and one stretch just went on absolute tear, got to the spot where they're going to rebuild, um, buy instead of sell. And they get Heimer Condelario. The guy I was hoping that they would get. It's just kind of amazing. I'll ask you, how surprised are you by this? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty shocked. Uh, like they, they were, they had this ability all all along. I mean, that was clear in the run differential and some of the underlying numbers. But I mean, you mentioned the Nats game. Uh, I see they they were 43 and 50 after that game, and that felt like kind of a game that you, you got to try to like clean up against those bad teams in the Cubs situation at the time. Uh, and then, so they were 40, 43 and 50 going to July 18th. And then, then they got as high as two games over 53 and 51 after July 29th. So, yeah, I mean, nobody saw that coming. Uh, you, you could always have that hope. Like I said, because Jed Hoyer even talked about this, that they were not playing to their level of expectations, but you run into the point of a season where it's like, all right, we only have just over two months to work with. Um, and the math is not at all in our favor. You know what I mean? So they had to actually win games to change that, to actually, you know, start matching those underlying numbers and get back into the playoff race. And shockingly, they were able to do that. I mean, I, I don't think, they were, like I said, everybody had the hope, 
but you had to actually see the wins come together at this point just because there's not enough season left to really wait on hope. Um, so like the team totally came through when they, they had to come through. I mean, they, I think Jed was like 99% sure that he was at least doing like a quote soft sell where you're trading maybe one of Stroman or at least uh, Stroman or Bellinger, or at least trading like from the, the Drew Smiley, Patrick Wisdom, Julian Merriweather, Michael Fulmer kind of tier, you know what I mean? Um, and they totally, <laughs> they totally reversed that to where they then became buyers and they got the very best rental bat on the market. Like that's just a uh, like a crazy and probably a bit lucky. I mean, the way it all came together kind of turnaround. Are you surprised that Candelario went to the Cubs? Because he's, like you said, the best available bat. Uh, even like five days ago, I didn't, I didn't think that that was very pos possible just because uh, – there were some teams closer to first place or, you know, world series odds and all that than the Cubs were. Uh, and, and there were reports that like up to eight teams, I mean, this was Mike Rizzo, the Nats GM saying that this, there were like up to eight teams that were calling him about Candelario. You never know how true that is because they're trying to drive up the interest in price. Yeah. But um, I believe that just because the uh, market and the bats out there were just not that great. Like I think, I mean, the the next best here is like Mark Mark Canna, who the Brewers got from the Mets, uh, like CJ Crone, who the the Angels got from the Rockies, and he's even been like a below league average hitter. So, uh, Candelario's like been a legitimate like top thirty to forty hitter in baseball this year, um, and he's a switch hitter that plays a really solid third base and can play first base too. So, um, I. I didn't think that the Cubs would be that team. I thought that he was the best fit, like all along. Like people were even saying, if the Cubs could get close, that's the kind of guy that you want to try to get. And there's the familiarity with him and the the organization that they brought him up and everything. Um, and he's the kind of guy that you might want to uh, try to sign in the off season. So if you could get him in house, that hypothetically helps your chances to be able to do that. You know, uh, but like as dead as the deadline day came. And they're there, like, what, was it a game over 500 or 500 or whatever it was? Uh, I, I was like, okay, let's just go out and get this guy because um, this farm system uh, is, like, it's deeper than it's ever been. So you have tons of those guys in the, like, and you're top to, like, 10 to 40 range that teams would absolutely love that the Cubs don't necessarily uh, need. And so to be able to get uh, – Candelario for what they were. I mean, to me, it was honestly a, a steal. Um, I would have been willing. I'm not Jed Hoyer, and I don't know what they think of certain prospects, but like on the surface, I would have been okay even giving up a little bit more to get him. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that maybe nobody topped it, but I guess it's, it also shows that um, the Cubs farm system is so deep right now that those kind of guys might be top 10 to 15 prospects in other systems, but the Cubs can afford to part with a couple of guys like that because frankly, they're not even going to be able to keep all those guys with a roster crunch and rule five draft and 40 man roster stuff in the next one to two years, you know? Yeah. It's kind of funny that like, these are guys that like you barely even heard about this year. Like I don't <laughs> remember the last time I saw Kevin Maday get, you know, was the last time he was mentioned and, and you know what I mean? You just, they're almost forgotten, but then you wonder, like you were saying, would they be, like for the Nationals, they might be like highly valued prospects. Right. And uh, 
like I thought, I honestly thought we might see a few more guys from the Cubs tier traded because, like I said, th- those guys are going to be really they're not like second or third tier because those guys are going to be really valued by other teams, whereas the Cubs don't necessarily quote need them or they might want something else more. Like they made the Nelson Velasquez trade with the Royals for uh, Jose Quas, an uh, re- interesting reliever. Um, like they, the Cubs can afford to part with some guys like that. So I think I think we kind of almost maybe overlook how a lot of those kind of prospects that we aren't talking as much about in the Cubs system right now that are like, you know, in that top 15 to 40, 50 range uh, really are interesting guys that would have been like probably top 10 prospects for the Cubs a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they've just, they've, uh, while they might not have as much complete impact like PCA and company at the top, they are loaded with those like really solid guys that will probably play in the major leagues and would interest a lot of teams. So um, we were talking a bit about with Candelario getting the guy in-house to, you know, be able to re-sign him, which is an argument I've made and I know you've made about Cody Bellinger, why not to trade him, but there is this, and you know, I said, I don't know how many times I've said, I'm going to stop reading into when Theo was here and now with Jed, their press conferences, but the way he was acting in this press conference about Cody Bellinger had to make you feel kind of good. Oh yeah. I, I, uh, I watched that this morning and I was, um, I was honestly pretty surprised how, like, if you listen, like you said, if you listen to Jed and Theo and just general GM speak, um, you can kind of read between the lines and get an idea of how they really feel about something when you, you see it happen enough and you listen to it enough. And, uh, I have not really heard Jed sound that like kind of chipper and he was giving like a couple of almost like hint hint smiles. Mm-hmm. Um, I was honestly surprised because that to me made it seem like they feel really, really good about their chances to keep Bellinger or at least um, they believe that he likes them a lot and they're prepared to make a good offer. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't be certain he's a Scott Boris client. So I, I mean, the, those guys don't usually don't sign extensions in season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure the Cubs have at least approached it and they'll have that like exclusive, you know, negotiating rights period where, like you said, they got him in house. They're going to be able to sit down and try to keep him if they want to before mm-hmm. he's just sitting out there at the winter meetings, you know, telling teams to come, um, come give them the highest offer and whatnot. So, I mean, they'll still have to pay up for him, mm-hmm. but I, after I watched that Jed press conference, I got way more confident feeling about their chances to keep Bellinger and that they clearly are aware of how important he is. And I mean, when you really think about it, like they, this has turned into a really solid baseball team, but he's just such a huge reason why, like, could you really watch how this has all happened? Try to be an ascending team, try to get better in 2024 plus and let that guy walk away. Like that's just, I don't really know how they could be approaching it that way. Um, especially when he's, I think he's 28 right now, something like that. Um, and he's being a superstar right now. He's been a superstar before in the past. Yeah. And like, there's a bizarre like stretch this mm-hmm. before that, you know, injuries obviously were a factor, but it's just mm-hmm. like the guy with this kind of ability to just disappear for a couple of years like that is actually stunning. Yeah. And I, I like, I think that that shoulder injury or whatever was probably impacting him more than um, people believed. I, it's he's kind of like Chris Bryant, I think, where 
he's one of those guys where he needs like everything mechanically to be going right to to mm-hmm. be himself and even if it's like a minor thing or whatever it can like mess up his swing or his mechanics and that can derail a lot and just right now he just looks so confident and he's he's making more contact than ever striking out less than ever like i don't know if he'll ever be that crazy mvp level season again where he was just hitting monster homers over and over but like right now he is a superstar again mm-hmm. and the cubs don't have a first baseman going forward no for sure um they they pca could be their future center fielder and i'm very very high on him but mm-hmm. you can't count on him today mm-hmm. until you're seeing it so i think just doing everything to keep bellinger in place as a short-term center fielder a first baseman a guy you can put in right and left field if there's other guys that those positions, I mean, I just don't know how you could let him get away after you've seen how important he is to your team at the moment. And when you need star power like that, yeah. and there's not much else on the market, you know, like yeah. unless you're going to sign Shohei Otani, there's not much out there. So yeah. yeah. Like I'm saying right now, he would be the second best free agent available. I think, mm-hmm. I, think yeah, I would take him over Matt Chapman, uh, Matt Chapman mm-hmm. personally. Yes. But yeah, I mean, it's a, and no, no matter how, great you feel about a prospect, there's still a prospect until they prove it. Even a guy like PCA, you think, you know, he's going to be really good, but you you just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. You just don't know. And um, while his defense is like 80 grade, as good as it gets, um, and I think he's going to find a way to make an impact in various ways, just with his natural tools, a la Javier Baez, Christopher Morel kind of stuff. Um yeah. You don't know for sure that he's going to be like a good major league hitter out of the bat. I mean, mm-hmm. most of them usually aren't even league average for a bit. So you got to be prepared that he's not quite ready or might need a little more Iowa time or that you just can't count on him to get 500 play appearances on a team that's trying to win right now. You know what I mean? So um, that insurance with Bellager, and especially when you don't have a lockdown first baseman or this and that, like it just, I really don't know how you couldn't be trying as hard as you can to keep him. Yes, exactly. So now I'll go to another guy who I will admit, fully admit that I did not like and was fully ready to give up on. But suddenly it's starting to look like the number four overall pick. And that's (laughs) our friend um, Nick Madrigal, who all of a sudden is like an incredibly valuable player. Where did this come from? Yeah, I think this is much more like the guy that um, the Cubs thought that they were trading for, that Jed Hoyer thought was the main return for Craig Kimbrell. You know, uh, I've like, I thought Nick Madrigal would be this hitter again, whether with the Cubs or somebody else. And I still think he even has another level in there where he can be an above league average hitter and bat 300. Like, I think he can do that again. And maybe that's the kind of thing where he needs regular playing time or whatever. And he's been starting to get more of that, though, which I think definitely helps. But I've been stunned by how good his third base defense has been. Like, uh, he has been truly great there. Like, by all, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but last I checked, he was like worth five plus five defensive runs saved and plus six outs above average. And I mean, he's been like a like like a top five level defensive third baseman so far by the metrics and it's looked pretty that good uh looked that good really to the eye test i don't know if it's going to keep up that good forever but we were kind of all mocking the idea of him even playing there a few months ago and he's been far and away better than wisdom you know i think the jokes i was making were like we don't even know if we can get the ball to first base from third and 
Right. Well, and one thing he's been doing is he like takes like those like two or three steps to then throw, which it looks funny, but he's cutting down the length of the throw aware that it's a little bit tough for him. So, I mean, until it's not working, like it might look stupid or it might this and that, but he's been playing solid defense there. And I think his bat is always going to be a little bit more valuable than the like WRC plus or OPS or this and that says just because there are very, very few hitters on the planet that uh, strike out under 10% of the time and um, give you a chance versus like he gives you, he can hit like a Josh Hader or a, you know, Jacob DeGrom or like he gives you the same kind of chance, his same kind of abilities versus any pitcher where that's not something you could say about like Patrick wisdom or even like Ian Happ usually, or like he just kind of stays who he is and he will put the ball in play and give you a chance. And when he's like batting ninth, especially, I really like it as a guy that'll, put the ball in play down there and be kind of like an extra little leadoff hitter. And um, so I think he's turned into a really nice player for them. Is he your like long-term third baseman or this and that? I don't know, but um, he's definitely helping the team win games and he's been big in this last month or two. Yeah. And then the other guy who I really thought would be, Oh, that's a nice story for like a couple weeks. But then I thought, okay, then he went into a slump and I thought, well, this is probably it for him. It was a nice little thing, but that but now Mike Talkman is like, look at him. And I, I'm shocked by that. Yeah, so just Talkman has just been such a surprising all-around player in every way. Um, like, I mean, like I said, he even, you know, he literally saved a game defensively for them. He's given professional at-bats over and over, hitting the ball to all fields with surprising power. Uh, will it keep up like this the rest of the year? I don't know, but... He's just someone that you definitely want in that lineup, I think, until he shows he's not doing it. And um, frankly, like I, I, I love Seiya Suzuki and I want him to start hitting again. But right now, especially versus right-handed pitching, Talkman just simply gives them a better chance to win games. Yes. And yeah, with Suzuki, it's just, I don't know what's the deal because he was starting to come around a couple months ago and you're like, okay, it's starting to look good. And then, yeah, it's like, I don't know if he's pressing or... He's missing a lot of pitches in the zone. I don't know. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, I mean, you can just see he's fighting himself up there. And I almost think he's thinking too much and trying too hard sometimes. Uh, he just looks like Jim Des- uh, Jim Deshays, sorry, on the broadcast, JD, he always talks about, like lately especially, just how kind of in between Saya looks and his leg kick and his hands and just his de- decisions. Like he's just not – he's just really out of whack right now. And um, when he's going well, you can see it all kind of coming together and you're like, okay, this is, this is why this guy was such a great hitter in Japan. This is why the Cubs paid literally, literally a hundred million dollars when you count the like posting fee to go acquire him. Um, because like it's in him, it's, it's very much in there. There's no reason that he can't be the best hitter on this team. And he looks like that for a two to three week stretch sometimes, but he just continues to fall into either mechanical or mental um, habits and like he frequently adjusts, but it takes him sometimes, sometimes, uh, some time to adjust back because the league, you know, keeps figuring some things out. And especially versus right-handed pitching, it just looks really messy at messy at times. And I, you know, I don't know if he's going to figure it out or when that's going to happen. I don't think we've seen the best of him, but right now the team is trying to win games. And mm-hmm. I mean, just the bottom line is that. 
right now he is not giving them a better chance, at least versus right-handed pitching, than mm-hmm. Mike Mike Talkman being in the lineup and even Nick Madrigal will be in the lineup um, are for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And of course, another guy who is just yeah, you hate to be so mean, but really addition by subtraction. And um, <laughs> they release Trey uh, Mancini, and it's just he was like negative what negative one point two war or something. It was like yeah, yeah. It's been just uh, I mean, <laughs> it's you hate to give up on someone that you signed to a two years to your fourteen million dollar contract if you're Jed Hoyer. Um, but it had gotten to that point, probably got to that point weeks ago. But mm-hmm. again, like I, I, I wanted to get rid of him or at least bench him or make up a fake injury or something. Um, but it, that, like I said, it's really, really hard to do when you're the front office and you're that little into a contract. It just, just, you don't, you do not see it much. And it takes a lot of guts, honestly, to admit that you screwed one up that badly. Um, like you can blame him for the signing, but at least got to give credit to realizing that okay, we're trying to win now, and this is not helping. Um, because yeah, it was just looking, it was looking rough. Um, like it just looked like someone whose skills have probably deteriorated quite a bit quickly. Honestly, it, it, it started last year in the second half after he was traded by the Orioles to the Astros, um, and it's been that same kind of thing and. He was striking out like 30% of the time this year with the Cubs. He had always been a low 20s kind of K guy. Uh, just everything. Way too much on the ground, not driving the ball. Uh, looked really, really not athletic at first base. And he had the that play in, in London against the Cardinals that just kind of like, I feel like that whole Cubs stretch just kind of snowballed after that. Like I'm not blaming it all on one play, but you could just kind of like feel the air go out or it was like, Oh, that's just gonna really hurt, isn't it? And then they went on a rough stretch after that. I again, I'm not blaming that play, but that's just how it felt as a fan. And um, David Ross continued to start him over and over, especially mm-hmm. versus left-handed pitching. And that was the one thing where, like, even the, the meatball sitting on the couch is like, "What are you doing? Like, this is not working. Stop!" And it kept happening and happening and happening. It's like you, you got to stop doing this. So I don't know if Jed necessarily wanted to, to DFA him. But I do wonder if it was almost that like David Ross was playing him so much that that was the general manager, or the president, um, finally like taking the keys away, so to speak. Because today's starting lineup also features Patrick Wisdom at first base, and that's something that they probably should have been trying for a while and was not happening. So I wonder if this was Ross being unwilling to uh, play the veteran. You know what I mean? Like I, I just don't know what was happening. But well, you know, uh, I that's something that I've always wondered about. That how much, like a daily lineup, how much of it is David Ross and does like Jed Hoyer call him and say, "Hey, get this guy in the lineup today," or is it is it all Ross? How does that work? Yeah, I I mean I, it's Ross's job ninety plus percent I think, but they mm-hmm. have talked about this before where um, I'm pretty sure they give him like some some like data and some some scouting reports and like from the the Cubs like sabermetrician guys and analysts and everything like the, the, the front office, they have like matchups and they have all these numbers and everything that they suggest. But at the end of the day, it's up to him to do it. Yeah. Um, I do not, I, I would imagine that every once in a while, a Theo Epstein or Jed Hoyer and some blank front office is telling the manager, Hey man, we really want to play this guy or oh, this guy's 
let's limit him to these matchups or these situations right now. I'm sure they do interfere here and there. But at the end of the day, they're trusting their manager to manage. That's why they hired him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But that situation was just getting to the point where it's like, yeah, you gotta this just can't him. keep up. You, it's like Candelario has been like a 3.3-something war player. Like He's been like a 4.5 better war player than Trey Mancini, Mancini. So when you're talking about adding this player and subtracting that player, I mean, that's like adding a superstar to the team when you really think about it. Um, so... Yeah, I like. I understand it's a lot of, uh, it's a, it's a lot to give up on. But honestly, that mo- that money would be covered just by getting like a replacement level player, even instead on your roster. Like it was just, it was getting that bad, unfortunately. And it sucks because Trey Mancini has been an incredible story, um, just as a person. I mean, everything he's been through and You're very nice, um, right? Yeah. So it, I always felt bad speaking poorly of him and everything. I mean, it's but. That's not even necessarily his fault. At some point, they got to stop putting him in that situation. Everybody loses it, you know, at some point in their career. And maybe he's not done, but, you know, the Cubs are now that they're really trying to win games, you got to play your best players. Exactly. And yeah, it's just, and if there's one criticism I think you can have with um, David Ross, it's sometimes he's too tied to platooning, where he'll play. I've got to have lefties against righties. I've got to have righties against lefties. Even if, the, you know, Jalen Mancini, who, yes, he's a righty, but he's doing awful. So even if you're hitting him against a lefty, you're not getting the advantage because the platoon player you're going with is not good. Right. And uh, less and less these days, you see the starting pitcher go more than like five or six innings. Um, so. I mean, it ends up being a point where you're going to want to put in another guy instead. Or, I mean, that's another, the other thing is Trey Mancini was constantly getting pinch hit for in like the sixth, seventh, eighth innings, um, even versus like right handed pitching or against some not good pitcher because they clearly didn't trust him deep down. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. why are you then starting the player? Because that's. I just feel like that's not really an efficient use of the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, unless it's somebody that totally mashes lefties. And, and you want to get him those like two at bats, and then yeah. you can pull him for a Mike Talkman later in the game. But he wasn't even hitting them, so it's just like, what are we really doing here? And especially when you're putting him at first base a lot, where that was really hurting the defense, I think. And when you built a team on run prevention, you know, like that was your big thing. Yeah, you can't have that at first base. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like if you got that's trying to be a good example of the opposite, like a Jeff Baker, two thousand mm-hmm. Jeff Baker, that would be a guy you could put in for two at-bats against lefties because he crushes lefties and then take him out. But Absolutely. That's a perfect example. Jeff Baker, even like a Reed Johnson. But, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, yes. But Mancini was not that this year. Right. He wasn't really hitting anybody. Again, unfortunately, I yeah. I thought he would come around after a month or two, but then it was kind of like, all right, this <laughs> seems like it is what it is for this year anyway. Yes. So obviously now we'll go. It's predictions are always hard, but they've gotten themselves back into the race. And I guess it's just do you think they'll be able to stick around for the next two months or do you think they might fade? Oh, put me on the spot. Um I honestly I I could see anything happening, but uh I 
I do think that this team has been closer to their run differential than their record. I do think that this has been like a, like probably like a mid mid eighties kind of baseball team that has had the luck turned around for them uh, lately. But um, it's just, this is the kind of thing I'd, I would want to be like, check back in two weeks because they got the reds, they got the Braves, they got the blue Jays. Um, they they got, yeah. Yeah. They got, and that's on the road. They got the, the, I know the Mets are a joke, but they still have some talent and that's on the road. And we know, we know how hard it is to wear it to win there. I mean, that's like a nightmare place for the Cubs historically. So uh, they got to like try to find a way to get through that stretch before the schedule softens up. Not to look you at got the it? schedule, yeah. Not to look at the schedule, but if they get through this, they got a lot of games with Royals, Rockies, mm-hmm. like that. Right. So I think if they just kind of tread water here um, and hang in there, you ideally want to win at least one of these two Reds games because you're making it really hard on yourself if you don't. Um, but you, you just you don't want to fall out. You want to be within like four to five games, ideally much better than that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, exiting the situation. But um, – I would guess that they hang around just because I do think the true talent's there. Uh, I will say, though, they're going to need either Marcus Stroman after this injured list trip or somebody else to step up. They need, you know, because, I mean, right now, Drew Smiley's been getting hit hard the last, like, month plus. He starts tonight. We don't know how that's going to go. I could see it going all sorts of ways. Um, Maybe you have Hayden Wesneski or Javier Assad step in for Stroman or even Smiley again. Um and you're gonna need you're gonna need Jamison Tyon to uh, Tyon to pitch like he has the last month. You're gonna need Kyle Hendricks to keep pitching like he has been overall. And I mean, I am like the world's biggest Justin Steele guy, but it's also hard to pitch like an ace every time out. So they they need some other guys to step up and not completely rely on him. You know how I feel with the team right now is the lineup. I feel good. I think they're gonna be able to score runs. Mm-hmm. Year. It's just will they be able to pitch? Mm-hmm. I would have liked one more. Uh, I'm. I think they got a much better the last couple of days because of Candelario and getting out Mancini. Honestly, but I would have loved another like left-handed reliever if possible. I thought they might get a Brooks Fraley, Aaron Bummer, Brent Suter, Brad Hand, Wandy Peralta, one of those kind of guys. I, I thought that they would come away with a lefty reliever mm-hmm. out of the deadline. Um, and I do think that that would help a lot because Mark later, Mike, Mark Leiter Jr. has faded a bit in the last couple of months. And um, it's basically just as and hoping that somebody has it on a particular day aside from him. Um, so and it would have been really nice to add an arm, but you certainly yeah. don't trust um, Anthony Kelly. To be oh yeah. He's yeah. He's just your classic. Um, he's probably just your classic guy that happens to throw left-handed. So that really helped him in the pick league career, but um they can do better than that. I would rather just have a another right-hander up, honestly, than deal with that. Um, Bailey Horn is interesting on the farm. They're, they have some arms down there. Um, yeah. So I do wonder if maybe that was part of it. Maybe Jed thought that he didn't like having to give up another like top 30 prospect or what he thought was maybe a minimal upgrade over just what they have in-house. Um, yes. But they're probably going to have to get – they're going to have to get creative and they're going to have to get success from like the Daniel Palencia types – Mm-hmm. Um, so to go back to your overall question, I would guess that they hang in there, but, um, I mean, it could, it could go South at any second too. Mm-hmm. Like they gotta, they gotta come, they gotta come out of the stretch in pretty good shape. And then they gotta win the games they're supposed to win against the, the teams like the Royals, the Tigers, the Pirates, or 
you know what I mean? And, and the, the, the big thing, the biggest thing probably is you got to play, um, okay. At least, okay. At least kind of like 500 ish baseball, ideally better against the Reds, Brewers, like Diamondbacks, those teams that are, they have a lot of games left against these teams. Like that's a large percent of their schedule. So those are the games that essentially have twice as much value, especially the Reds and the Brewers where, I mean, like I said, they're like twice as they're twice as important, basically, because that's a, a loss off of their schedule, win win on yours, and you can control that. That's in your control versus having to root for the Nationals to keep beating the Brewers, or you know what I mean. So um, it's just yeah, it's hard to say, but I do think that this is a true talent. Like this team can make the playoffs now. Like they have that kind of ability. That's in them. So I'm hopeful, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, and the other good thing is just. The Reds and Brewers did almost nothing at the deadline to help themselves. So, oh I, my gosh, man! I like the Brewers at least got Mark Canna. I like that move for them. Um, that was a solid bat, but he's not Jammer Candelario either. And um, I thought I did think it was kind of your typical Brewers, like sort of doing stuff, but not really. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, when was the last time they really blew the doors off the deadline? It, there's probably. Happen? That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, there's probably been some other moves that I'm not thinking of, but (laughs) I feel like they probably could have been more aggressive in this contention window than they've been. Um, And then the Reds, uh, I am more perplexed by their trade deadline than any team in baseball. I um, like incredible incredible prospects that they could. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, like, I understood maybe being a little bit cautious about, going nuts to trade for like Dylan Cease or something, but Giolito was also out there and um, Jordan Montgomery and lots of other, I mean, even like a Lance Lynn, Jack Flaherty, those guys would at least give you veteran depth right now. Um, I know that like, they like some of these guys like Williamson and um, I mean, Andrew Abbott's been incredible, but he's probably been a little bit lucky too. Lodolo and green. You don't know when they're going to be back for sure. Lively had been okay, but, I mean, the Cubs just got literally 13-year runs versus him last yeah. night. Like, it, you just can't totally trust all those young arms, and you got to get some more veteran depth and innings and certainty. Like, even a Drew Smiley-level pitcher in mm-hmm. their mix would probably help them. I say that before they might rock him tonight, but yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that the Reds um, really – I would have been more aggressive in their shoes. I, I would be really, really angry if I was one of their fans right now because – even if they win the division, and they very well might, and they might make some noise when they get there, but you yeah. cannot take these opportunities for granted. They just, you just cannot. Like, you cannot assume that the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals are going to keep being like a low 80s or much worse team. That yeah. these are organizations that are going to spend money and they're going to be back in that picture in the next two or three years. The Brewers are always going to be there mm-hmm. until we see them not doing it. So I think that the Reds should have been. Like Theo Epstein, the one thing that he always said that was so true is every like every chance is sacred. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot take these chances for granted. The white ask the Chicago White Sox. Like yeah. everybody thought they were going to go on like a seven or eight year run, and they're a disaster. What like two to three years in? Yep. I mean, you you cannot when if you have a playoff level team um, yep. and a team that you think is ascending, you got to do what you can to make them better. I mean, they could have they could have kept Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain and Spencer Steer and all these guys and still upgraded their team. You know what I mean? Yes. Like. So I, I would be really, really upset right now if I was a Reds fan, honestly, even no matter how well they finish the year. That's right. And I guess I'll end on one more thing because it's something that's been – because you brought up CeCe Sabathia. So this is my long-term 
<laughs> disappointment that I've been. I've talked to you a bit about this before, but <laughs> I always thought the Cubs should have traded for CC Sabathia in 2008. Yeah. It would have put them over the top, and he would have been the opening starter for the first game of the playoffs. And Oh, God, yeah. And they went with Rich Harden, who, don't get me wrong, Rich Harden, good pitcher, but he was not going to be a difference maker. And it just, it bugged me that they let, and then the Brewers, of course, you know, make the wild card, force the Cubs to play the Dodgers in the first round. It gets just, I really wish they would have gone for it. Yeah, I, Rich Harden was like, he had like a one something ERA, but it was also only going like five or six innings. And you also kind of worried that it would just, I mean, he was known as that great arm that his arm might just break like at any moment. That's just kind of how it always been for him. Whereas CC was like the world's biggest innings eater and was throwing like seven to nine innings of untouchable baseball for a lot of that stretch. Like, I mean, the Brewers frankly got lucky by how good he was. It was like, if you go back and look at his numbers, he went from like, AC, AC kind of pitcher to like, it would have been like if Marcus Stroman was traded and then had like a 130 ERA for the final two months for somebody else, you know, like CC was probably level up from that, but you know what I mean? Um, but yes, I very much wanted him too. And that season, um, <laughs> like <sighs> that, that series was probably the most depressed I'd, I've ever been as a Cubs fan, honestly, mm-hmm. like, um, because I thought that that 2008 team, and I still think, I think that might be the like second best Cubs team. Mm-hmm. Um, Go to twenty sixteen. Uh, since Ivan is a fan, I mean, yes, twenty sixteen. Uh, but I think that two thousand eighteen. If you if you look at their like, if you go to like Baseball Reference and you look up and down at the numbers of that team, yeah. you will both be wowed and get depressed because I mean they even had like what guys like Mike Fontenot and all these guys with like nine hundred OPSs and Ridiculous. I mean like anybody they went to that lineup up and down. That was even like a down year for Derek Lee, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. compared to, yes, the, like they had like five or six other better hitters that year. I mean, yeah. uh, Mark yeah. Mark DeRosa was like Ben Zobrist level kind of guy that you put everywhere, like, had um, great numbers, and yeah, they traded for freaking Jim Edmonds for basically yeah. nothing, and just he was like the MVP like level dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was a hilarious one, but yeah, I mean that team. Uh, I mean, you probably laugh. I mean. I like laugh at some of these people on Twitter and everything and all the freakouts over nothing, but I, I totally turned into like a huge meatball for a good three, five, six months after that season where I was like, is this team cursed? Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause this is just like, like how, that team was so good and they just Miami, yeah. like, they didn't, it was over in like five minutes. I mean, yeah. like when was it James Loney hit the grand slam or whatever? And it was like, it just felt yeah. over. And yeah, Manny Ramirez too. Like, Becomes like a superhero again, maybe chemically aided, but just like, yeah, yeah. Oh man, and you, and you know my because I, I think you had responded to my tweet about 1998 was the one that drove me the craziest when the Cubs could have had Mike Piazza and or Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. and they were afraid to trade like Pat Klein and like Tad uh, Todd Noel and like okay. other all these other like. Guys that like never ever even sniffed the majors. Kevin Ory was another one who was at least like he was an interesting young third baseman, but uh, like Randy Johnson then went on to like dominate for the Astros and Mike Piazza was a Hall of Fame hitting catcher. And yeah, um, the Cubs still made the playoffs and it was the most fun year probably outside of 2016 for me as a fan, but um, uh, 
No, it's very that one just that one broke my heart. Just like staying up to watch the deadline midnight on ESPN mm-hmm. and came away with Matt Karchner and Felix Heredia, traded John Garland, didn't get Randy Johnson or Mike Piazza. It was like yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, still, I do remember that, yeah. That it was baseball tonight or whatever it was. And yep. You got the news that he's going to the Astros. I was like, oh really? Yeah. yeah. And then the season ended with the Cubs losing in, in Houston and depending on the Rockies, Mayfi to Perez to have a crazy comeback to beat the Giants to put the Cubs yeah. in the like tiebreaker game where then they beat the Giants. But I mean that season was just yeah. full of chaos. Did we end up paying for that? I love you, Navy <laughs> Perez. <laughs> That's what I always say when people always complain about Navy Perez. I'm like, hey, Navy Perez literally put the Cubs in the playoffs, basically. Right. So that will always be there for him. So I, I can never hate on him. Yes. All right. Well, hopefully this is one of those years that we can talk about later, but we'll see. Yeah. If nothing else, Sean, I'm just very excited that um, they're trying. Like yeah. on, that's that's all I wanted, honestly. I mean, I want them to make the playoffs. I say, like I say, I won't be upset. Of course, I'll be upset. Next mm-hmm. losing streak, or and they come up short. But mm-hmm. I just want them to be playing meaningful baseball games. And I think that the message that Jed Hoyer sent both to the team and the fan base is a huge deal. And I think that that honestly matters for twenty twenty four plus. Like I think if, um, like I don't know if it even adds a one percent difference or whatever. But you see guys like Shohei Otani or blank free agent that might be like, hey, this. This team actually is trying now. They're not just selling off every deadline and they mean business. And that does matter. Like that matters. And that's how you get people to be buying into the culture. And it had just been getting too much. Like the Cubs can't have three straight full on sell offs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you want to be taken seriously and um, however it goes, we'll see. But they are playing competitive baseball. They're, Mm -hmm. They're absolutely right in the mix. Three games out right now in the wild card, but four out in the division. They got a lot of games in their own hands, head-to-head games. Um, like they're they're in this thing, and that's fun because it's just been too long. And they needed to play serious baseball. They needed to just play mini- meaningful, competitive baseball. And if they come up short, like I can live with that. Like I would much rather that than just giving up. Honestly, like I, mm-hmm. they need to be playing games that matter and try to be an ascending team. And at the very least, you enter the off season believing, like, okay, we are trying now and we mean business going to 2024 plus and I think that matters a lot to Cody Bellinger for example that he saw that even though he's probably going to take a lot of money from whoever hopefully the Cubs um, but I just think that they had to show that they mean business and are serious finally and um, that makes me happy just to see that and that they're not just going to keep up that sell off and half serious stuff over and over yep so hopefully we'll see some more wins and It'll get really interesting, but as always, thank you for coming on, and where uh, can we find you on the internet? Yeah, you can follow me for Cubs and baseball-related tweets uh, at the blog finds, um, and then I also am an editor and writer for Awful Announcing and The Comeback, um, social media editor, features editor, all that, so do some writing and editing there and run the Twitter accounts, a lot of videos and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, we appreciate all the following there and yep. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. We will be back soon with another episode. Hopefully it'll keep being exciting for the Cubs, but until then, 
Thank you for listening, and go Cubs.